Hello everybody and welcome to a very special What's Story podcast. I'm your resident heel, Danny Murray. I'm Graham Merrow Merrigan. Merrigan Mania. Merrigan Mania, absolutely wheel and wheel all over the shop. All over the place, man. Um, yeah, this is, we, we know we haven't been as prolific as we'd like to be with episodes. We know that, you know, this year we took a break and the 600 is still there, but it's not there and, and all that kind of stuff. And people who look for a midweek fix aren't getting a midweek fix. And even the odd week, people who look for a Sunday fix aren't getting a Sunday fix. But fear not, lads, because you're getting this episode, which is going out of a Wednesday evening. And uh, you'll get an episode this Sunday as well, a very interesting one too. Um, Mero, I'm going to let you tell the people who this bonus episode is and what it's all about. This, we've been trying to, truthfully, we tried to get this over the line two years ago, uh, initially, when this legend started following me on Twitter. And I thought, I meant that, I, I didn't, I don't know why he started following me. But anyway, I nearly shit the bed and I seen that it was actually him. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, so two years ago, we failed just timing couldn't get it right going but then I made contact again in the last two weeks and delighted delighted to say that our guest over the moon I'm oh I'm buzzing that our guest is Ireland international legend Alan McLaughlin we're joined tonight I'm glad to say by uh, Republic Ireland football legend Alan McLaughlin 42 caps two goals and uh one of those goals, arguably more famous than many other goals scored in a green jersey by many people. Alan, thanks me and for uh, coming on. What's the story, first of all? Well, thanks, guys. For, thanks for inviting me, number one. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, we've sort of like been trying to get together over uh, a period of time, and it just hasn't quite worked out. And, of course, you've managed to pick the, uh, the day that we eventually speak on the day that Martin leaves and Roy leaves and all the staff leaves. So yeah. I think you had this plan along, didn't you? <laughs> What do you make of it all? Um, It's difficult, isn't it? Um, I think the fact that maybe, listen, there's obviously a little bit of apathy around at the minute. Crowds are low. Um, There seems to be a general uh, disharmony, uh, whether it be uh, either within the camp, uh, either with the FAI, either with the team itself and what's gone on. And maybe the the success of the past, uh, which has been quite considerable over a number of years, um, maybe he's impacted on this. But if there's no bums on seats, people start to, to worry a little bit. And that's not the overriding factor. I think it's probably been a combination of a, a combination of quite a few things. But today seems to be that, the, you know, that that trigger's been pulled today and they're looking for a fresh start. Uh, how fresh and how exciting and, and, and how many results you can get from um, what you're working with is another matter whether you're Martin O'Neill uh, and Roy Keane and, and 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 the boys that they work with or anyone else coming in will be a really tough one to uh, to ask. But I think more than anything, uh, the you know the association probably a little bit worried about the uh, low attendance, and that probably was the, the the one thing or the overriding thing that maybe decided them to uh, call it a day today. You know what you say about the low attendances. Um, a name being touted in Ireland is Dundalk uh, manager Stephen Kenny. Do you think? he would be overlooked because of perhaps not a box office name. And like, I suppose the O'Neill Keane duo, I think it's the first time I recall the assistant manager's name always being mentioned. Um, you know, the end of the day, Keane or sorry, O'Neill and his staff kind of parted ways today, but you'll see it everywhere. O'Neill and Keane. Do you think 
we will then look for another kind of box office name. And is there a box office name out there that will want a job? Um, well, listen, I mean, Scotland tried to go, whether you can call it box office, you know, they tried Bertie Volks and they tried to bring this German man in who'd won the World Cup, I believe, maybe with Germany and as a legend of a German player. Uh, it doesn't doesn't always work. Listen, you know, um, Roy Keane will always have headlines, will always be um, talked about, uh, number one, inspirational player, uh, number two for all the controversy that's gone with Ireland from being a player and obviously at the latter end of his tenure there with with Martin with some of the stuff that was going on. So that's always going to be an issue. Uh, press, uh, everyone's trying to get a line out of Roy, trying to get a read out of him, trying to get a scowl out of him, trying to get something that's going to make a headline, sell a paper, uh, fill a, a TV you know, um, report or a radio. So he is box office in that term. So they'll be disappointed that he's not on the scene because it makes things a little less, um, um, it's always lively when Roy's around, uh, whether it's good, bad or indifferent. So that will be a miss. Um, like I said, whether someone can come in off the top of my head, I can think of one person now. I think most people will think of it. Yes, there is Stephen Kenny. Yes, his record in Ireland is fantastic. Um, should he be given an opportunity? I don't see why not. Um, I think the, I think that the squad itself, Martin, and quite rightly so, has tried to transition things with his staff. Uh, I think it's nine new faces in the last maybe three or four games. Listen, a squad has got to evolve. Uh, even the the World Cup squad with England, I mean, it's changing again. That's five or six games in. I know they've got the depth of quality and and a philosophy and a, and a real thing going at the minute, but it's changed again. Uh, from the World Cup and you, who'd have thought Trippier might not be involved now moving forward etc etc for England so it does evolve it does change it's whether you've got the right personnel for whichever manager it is to come in and work with and think he's going to make a difference now the almost the most obvious candidate you'd probably suggest is is Chrissy Hewton at Brighton in terms of high profile in terms of um, taking a club uh, and taking them into the Premier League establishing them keeping them up there um, the manner in which he conducts himself as well is exemplary. Um, and then you look at Stephen's record in Ireland and you look at, well, listen, do we go with someone and give him a real go uh, and give him the opportunity? And either one, uh, and either way, uh, I'm not really sure which way it'll go. I don't think Chris would leave Brighton, if I'm honest, to take up the job. I don't think at the moment uh, what he's got going there and the, the trust he probably has with the, the Brighton board and, and, and the fans more than anything um, I don't. I think that would maybe count him out. I think he would probably think it's the wrong time, and he'd look at the squad as well and go, "I'm not sure I can improve things too much." I was hoping you weren't going to say that because I think Chris Hewton's my number one choice. I'm not saying. I'm not saying he wouldn't take it. I'm just saying if you're looking at it in the cold light of day and you're managing it in the Premier League and you've got you've got something going at Brighton, it's a big ask to come away from this. I mean, listen, Martin had five years, uh, and Martin had five years, and let's not forget. Within that five years, there was success, there was exciting games, there was championships, there was tournaments, uh, there was nearly uh, occasions. Uh, with, again, you could argue maybe a limited squad, but the squad has become um, of a lesser quality. There isn't a goal scorer in there, a proven goal scorer. There isn't uh, you know, a real solid you know, set of defenders that are going to work together. Now, it's been resilient at times. It's been, I think, the last nine... I don't think, I think we've only won one game in 2018... Um, and I think probably the key game that we lost there was the the 4-1 game against Wales you know that was a big game Denmark are a quality side and you know they would give anyone a game so 
again, it's just difficult. And maybe as a nation, we get carried away with 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 media. With you know, everyone's you know on the phone now and can access how many stats, how many shots they had, how much, how much possession. You know, years and years ago, I mean, you read it the next day in the paper unless you're at the game or you saw the highlights later. So you know, everyone's an expert now, and and, and everyone's got an opinion, which is great, which makes the world go round, which makes which is why we're sitting here tonight talking after it took me ten minutes to actually find you on Skype and my. Um, <laughs> I uh, having to wear my glasses now because I, I can't see too much and bits and bobs. But yeah, listen, it's difficult. And yeah, I mean, Chris, Chrissy will be my number one choice because purely I think he has the um, experience. And again, I'd put Stephen Kenny very, very close behind that because I think why not give someone different a go? Like Brian Kerr was given an opportunity uh, and his record in the end proved to be quite a decent record in terms of percentage wins to games. So, yeah. uh, and Brian obviously had the experience of going through the FAI and, and, and taking the boys through the younger players, but it'd be very difficult to find a crop of players again um, that you could suggest might go on and play for top, top Premier League clubs and make a difference like a Duffer, like a Robbie Keane, etc. And, and like a shade given uh, there's just to name three after Jack really. So it's quite difficult to find that caliber of player and players on a regular basis. And uh, we just find ourselves in a, situ- tough t- a tough situation at the moment as a country in terms of the development. And you could hark back to the FAI and say, you know, not enough investment into grassroots and not enough coaches. I would argue uh, at times, I-, I don't know what's going on at the minute with the FAI, but there doesn't seem to be any ex-players in and around it. And maybe that's a conscious effort uh, on their-, their half, on their behalf. I don't know. I hope not, because that would be quite naive to-, to throw away expert talent that's out there. Alan, you, you mentioned there about maybe a, a lack of a goal scorer, a natural goal scorer in the team, and that maybe being compounded by what, what are we on game four now without a goal? Um, is there anybody you think that, that maybe O'Neill overlooked that you, you would have liked to have seen given a shot? Well, if you could give me some names, then I'll tell you yay or nay, because I can't think of one top of my head now. Can you? Can someone trip off your tongue now? In, in terms of natural goal scorers, not really, no. I mean, I, I personally, and maybe it's just we have a little bit of a bias here because we've had him on the show and he's a friend of the show, but Owen Doyle is somebody I'd love to see given a go in the green jersey. Um, I know Alan George maybe is an exciting player. He was unfortunate with injury. Um, but I, I maybe would have liked to see him more of a... We're, we're crying out for a striker um, the last couple of... The last year, let's say. And uh, Patrick Huben. Yeah. Dundalk has 30-plus goals, like... That's yeah. in all competitions. I mean, if you're go, going to give uh, Michael Ofemi um, a run out, which I think Michael's going to be a great player, um, but why would you not give Patrick Huben a go uh, with 30, 30 league goals? Like, Well, I don't know. Until you throw someone in there, you just don't know, dear. And there's no reason why he couldn't have gone in. But uh, And again... I don't know. Maybe there's some, you know, there's extra bias towards players that playing playing in the Premier League or being involved around Premier League clubs. Obviously, I think with the boy from Southampton, maybe a little bit of outside pressure, particularly with the Declan Rice situation, to get him on there. Let's not let's not wait like we did last time with friendlies, uh, and 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 maybe, you know, introduce him gently. Declan's careers took off, and Declan's quality is shining through. And that leads to you know a club like West Ham wanting him to stay and sign a long-term contract and maybe giving him an incentive to say, well, if you're an England player, it's a slightly better contract than you are, you know, a, a Republic of Irish, uh, Ireland player. Uh, all this going through his mind um, and maybe we should have struck when the iron's hot, when he had the opportunity and, and thrown him in there for that full cap like they've done with the boy from Southampton. So they've just secured and made sure he's uh, had that cap and now 
he can't go elsewhere. So that maybe could have been thought about a little bit more. Uh, and maybe they didn't realise the quality that Declan possessed, really. But you know the way a, a lot of people are saying about, you know, the lack of quality. But, I mean, the North don't have that much of a quality, but they have an identity. They have a bit of a structure. They have, they know what they're doing. I mean, yeah. I read today, uh, Miguel Delaney was writing today that um, Callum O'Dowda and Harry Arter didn't know their positioning until 10 minutes into the match uh, recently. And they were kind of they were kind of shouting over at each other. You know, and that was the instruction from the bench. Yeah. So whilst I agree, you know, the, the, the quality seems to be uh, lacking as such, but there's a lack of identity there as well. The fellas don't seem to know what they're doing. With Martin and naming teams an hour before kickoff and stuff as well, like, is that is that a bit, un, like, uncommon? or? Well, if, if, if that was going on, um, obviously I wasn't there. Uh, I, I wasn't privy to that. But if that was going on, that's, that's, that's not great. I mean, we used to to know the the team the day before um, with Jack uh, and maybe a few days before with Mick particularly. If he was set on his team, he had boys ready and he knew what he was on about. And even on the Sunday, I've come in on the Sunday and we've got a game on a, a Wednesday and the, the, the team's picked and everyone else is there with bibs. You know you're the reserves. And then we're all battling for a place on the bench on who performs well, what the strategy is. And that's always been in place. So to... But you tell me that that possibly boys were saying that, then 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 that then there's a little bit of something not right there, and that means either in being indecisive in not knowing your team, which you should have a fair idea. I know sometimes players are sometimes injured when they arrive and they're, they're waiting and 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 the and they're seeing where they're going to be fit, but there's no excuse if that was the case. And if that is the case, then that leads to the boys pretty quickly realising this isn't, isn't, very, isn't very professional, if that's true what you're saying, if that's true what they're saying. So if that's the case, then you, you do get apathy, you do get empathy, you do get, so you do get uh, apathy amongst the players quickly. And things can turn very, very quickly in a group of players, uh, whether you're playing football, rugby, whatever you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. If they don't feel that things are well organised, uh, then they will quickly turn and it's easy to step away from them situations and not make yourself available. You know, you were saying there about uh, Big Jack. I mean, sometimes uh, with Irish radio and and podcasts nowadays, and Big Jack's era is talked about. So there's, I always find that there's a cynical, um, cynical kind of tone to his era. How how do you look back on Jack's era as as our manager and being in the squads? Well, I'm sure if there's a cynical tone, they they they'd absolutely be be dying for that era now. Dying for that um, feeling around the country, uh, dying for that anticipation of the next the next game, dying for the um, the uh, the probable victory or the game being close or taking taking it to the wire, making everyone proud. Um, everyone, even if they lost, were too worried. They gave it a lash, as they said. Um, and again, at times, then there was a bit of ignorance to it because like I said everyone's it's accessible now you can turn the TV on you can get the stats straight away you can get comments from you know players like myself if I ever was invited onto Sky giving my expert opinion on how it was so bad and why it was so bad um, and why it was either so good so it's instant and people can draw on that very quickly and it can suck the life out of situations as soon as, as soon as things start to become a negative but when that was on a crest of a wave, uh, a, a wave as it was um, everyone just ran with it I don't forget in Jack's tenure as well, there were some horrific results, you know, nil-nil in Liechtenstein. Then coming back, boys all out on the piss down in Limerick for, 
for three days and then it falling apart against Austria. You know, so, you know, it wasn't all sweetness and light. There was, you know, 92 who didn't qualify when England did, uh, the last, you know, depths of the game. There was the Holland game. And let's not forget, you know, playing against an unbelievable Holland team at, uh, at Anfield, you know, with um, some unbelievable players in there for them, Burkham, Seedorf to name but two, um, Overmars in there. I've gone to three now. So um, <laughs> it just shows um, that it is difficult. And I think you should still celebrate um, past achievements. I know some people might want to bury it and say that's the past, but it shouldn't be forgotten about because that, that makes a either a proud nation of, of football fans and it makes people of a certain age heart back to, oh, if only it was then. And I think that's maybe could be half the reason why people are, you know get a little bit annoyed uh, now. And particularly people, you know, either sitting in the FAI or current, as it was, uh, staff, because they might be just saying, well, why are we talking about that? That was this. This is about now. But uh, you shouldn't forget the past because the past makes, makes, makes the future and it makes people... Um, aspire to something and I think if we could you know I find it difficult when I don't think we're ever going to get back to them levels of success and I don't think you're going to get back to that level of um a group of players on mass who are very capable and able I think I think now uh, the the FAI fans I think any of them they, they'd snap your arm off for qualifying for back-to-back world cups which obviously Italia 90 and USA 94 was, was was a massive achievement you know um and I think just you kind of touched on it there about kind of the the players and kind of the depth of quality that there was back then, but also the the, the spirit within the team. And you mentioned it there, like the la- like going on the piss for three days in Limerick, that kind of thing. Now, fair enough, they, they probably wouldn't get let off the the lead enough to be able to do that in the modern game. But one of the things, whenever you look back on that era, there seemed to be a far better team spirit or a lot more camaraderie among the squad. Being, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so there wasn't a mobile phone stuck in your face, yeah. and there wasn't someone, and there wasn't someone in your ear saying, "Why the hell are you here?" Because they wanted a photo with you and with a Polaroid, and it wasn't on a camera, and they couldn't record you. And people are afraid to go out now and uh, and 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 socialise uh, and take it that way. Yeah, the games moved on. Also, back then there wasn't as many foreign players in the game. The uh, the Premier League, as it was wasn't stifled and, and the players weren't stifled and uh, they played on a regular basis. Whereas now, you know, even get like a Mark, Marcus Rashford can't play regularly for Man United because there's the huge size of the squad. The players are playing week in, week out for their respective clubs, whether it be John Aldridge, Ray Houghton, whether he was at Villa or whether he was at Liverpool, um, Ronnie Whelan, obviously at Liverpool winning, you know, championships week in, week out, uh, year in, year out. Uh, Paul McGrath playing week in, week out. Andy Townsend, everyone was playing on a regular basis. That's That's difficult now. That's difficult now. And you get the lads now who are playing for Ireland who, in the main, apart from one or two, are championship players. Um, and, you know, even there, their squads are massive. And, you know, sometimes game time's hard to find. So, yeah, things have moved on. Um, and our expectations of where we should be should move along with that as well. And I think, at times, harping on about the past hinders the future because everyone's thinking we should be able to be in the same position as we were in 1990, 94, 88, to be able to replicate that. The players are not playing at the highest level to do that. And that's where them, them boys from them squads and that team were playing at the highest level, probably week in, week out. And that isn't happening now. And then consequently, um, the quality isn't going to be as good. It's just not. And that's no one's fault. And that's not even the FAI's fault. It's the expectation as well, isn't it? We've got a lot of expectation on the island now because of 
past achievements. Um, when you were when you were called into the nineteen ninety World Cup, what, like World Cup squad, what what was the feeling? Of, what what was the feeling of your family and and you and because it was last minute, wasn't it? It was. It was. Um, I mean, I had a. I was having a brilliant season at Swindon. Um, I got to the end of the season and scored eighteen goals from free play, as it was then is now the championship. Um, so I was I was flying. Um, there was, you know, there was little rumours. I remember Tony Galvin joined um, uh, Swindon with uh, Aussie, and uh, I trained with Tony about ten days or so. And he, you know, he came up to me and he said, oh, "McLaughlin, your surname? You got any Irish in your family?" I said, "Yeah, our whole family's Irish." I said, "My mum, my dad, everyone." Oh, okay, okay. And he left it at that. Didn't hear anything more. And they were in the tunnel at, at Middlesbrough about three weeks later. It was a Tuesday night, and uh, I'd, I'd been doing well. And uh, he just sneaked up to me. I always was third in the queue coming out just behind the goalie. And he just whispered in my ear, he said, Big Jack's here tonight, so make sure you play well. I went, Big Jack who? He went, Big Jack told you. Fucking idiot. I went, oh, 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 right. And then sort of like, I went, oh, Christ, okay, I better. And I remember we, we beat him 2-1. And um, I got the ball, it came into me and I slipped past the midfielder, drove through, crossed it and Duncan Shearer scored. And uh, I think probably at that point, that might have sealed my then, you know, the little seed in Jack's head that I might be effective for them. And then he tried, um, uh, I think there was rumours that I might have been in a, maybe involved in a couple of friendlies and it didn't quite work out uh, because of Swindon were doing so well. We were near the playoffs every time. Then there was a friendly, we were involved in a playoff game at the end of the season against Blackburn. Then we were involved in the playoff final at Wembley, which meant about two weeks between the winning the playoff semi-final and then Wembley. And of course, Swindon didn't want me then being injured uh, and going away. And I missed it. And I thought I'd missed the boat. I really did. And, um, um, you know, I managed to get in the World Cup squad. But before that, uh, and when I played in the B International game, again, it was the letter that come through the door. You know, I had two letters in the door and it's been said many times. Um, I just bought a house, my first house in Swindon. Uh, come back and uh, there was a pile of letters with the usual pizza bits as it was then and whatever and uh, there was a, a nice swanky envelope with the three lions on it and I'd been selected opened it up eagerly thinking well what's this and uh, opened it up I'd been selected for England B to play against Ireland down at Turner's, Turner's Cross um, obviously was excited you know I bloody hell I'd been selected for England B here and phoned me mum and dad and my dad was at work and mum was delighted of course you know bloody hell you know what do I do here you know I just sat on it really and took it all in and was looking at the letter for ages I decided to flick to the bottom and, um, and go through the rest of the mail and there was a little skanky little envelope at the bottom um, and that opened it up and that was the um, that was the FAI envelope obviously without <laughs> any logo just an envelope um, and I opened it up and it said I've been selected for Ireland, the Irish B team to play against England B team so I was frantically back on the phone to my mum and um, telling her <laughs> that your son was about to play for Ireland because from that moment of euphoria, which was it was like a it was um, receiving something to say that you'd your what you'd been doing had been recognised and people were recognising that I was playing well and doing well and even to be called up for England was an amazing achievement then. But then to see the letter at the bottom from Ireland and down in Cork and you know it, it, it was just a no brainer for me. So. Um, I'd like to think that sort of excitement is around now. Obviously, they probably get an email now, uh, rather than coming up carrier pigeon or something. Uh, they probably get an email now, 
it's sent through by somebody else. It comes through on WhatsApp or something like that. So life's a bit different now. But um, that that was what it was, and um, yeah, it, it just led and opened up a door for me, which led to nine and a half years of. I, I, like I said, I, I can't describe it. It's very difficult to describe uh, yeah. the actual joy with with playing for the squad. And you mentioned the team spirit. You know, from the the first time I walked in there, it was a little bit off because obviously Gary would have could gone home and I joined the squad. Jack, Jack had made a decision out of nowhere and uh, it obviously perplexed How some of the lads. How did you find out about that? Pardon? How did you find out about that? Well, when, when I was... When I got out of the taxi on the left and Gary was walking to the taxi, up to the taxi, and I thought, well, he must be nipping off to go into the letter for something because we was in Malta and I thought he was maybe going to the shop for something. I don't know. And I sort of like recognised him and he didn't look at me and I, I thought it was a bit strange and I thought maybe he just didn't recognise me. And uh, I took my bags out of the back and uh, of the boot and... Gary stuff went in and I was walking looking back thinking what's going on there and I hadn't no idea no one had told me on the way from the airport what had gone on and I walked in and basically I you know we'd even use the same taxi so um you know there's a taxi in for me and a taxi out for Gary and that's that was terrible for Gary and obviously I was completely unaware of the situation and it wasn't until I went in and it was a little bit frosty from the lads really yeah from one or two yeah from one or two uh, a little bit frosty towards me. They didn't know me, and I, I, mean, I obviously I knew them. Uh, obviously, I knew Paul McGrath from certainly United, and he was fine. Come over to me, mm. um, Frank. I did know from United briefly, but I was I was a, a young scholar then, apprentice. I didn't really know him, but it was Frank Stapleton, a legend as he was. Um, he was probably aware of me, uh, but yeah, things were a bit frosty. Mick was a bit frosty with me, and you know I've stated that before, and he's apologised since. Somebody apologised, you know, a few years later for. It was only a, you know, maybe three or four days, but I certainly didn't think I was that welcome. But I soon got a welcome from Bernie Slaven up in his room, uh, up in our room, and I shared with him probably the most mad five weeks of my life with any human being because he's off the Richter scale, Bernie. And um, <laughs> spent the night talking to his dogs uh, on the phone, uh, howling <laughs> on the phone to hours. Um, I even remember the dog's name, Shauna. Um, so. That- <laughs> He spent more time talking to the dog than he did to his missus. So, um, yeah, I think they got <laughs> So I think that's probably why. But, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a great time. And like I said, the, the camaraderie we had eventually, um, the ability to go out and socialise, the ability to mix, um, the ability for the press not to, you know, dob the lads in because they're out drinking, you know, in Temple Bar till one o'clock on a, or five o'clock in the morning on a Monday and training at two o'clock. And, you know, all them type of things led to, uh, an environment that we all wanted to be involved in, not just to go out and socialise, but to, to be involved in, because we knew we were on a bit of a crest of a wave at the time. Did, did that environment, um, yeah. Al, did, 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 I'm just, I'm curious, obviously, the, we, we recently had the anniversary of the, the famous goal against uh, Northern Ireland in the, the 94 qualification campaign. Who um, scored that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... I, like in the build up to this, I was reading kind of uh, like like newspaper clippings and that from the time, and it painted a very a hostile atmosphere, a very tense environment um, to be in. And obviously, just the, the picture you're painting there of kind of that that squad spirit and all. How important was that, both 
going into the match, but also afterwards, given kind of the the, the there was murders building up to the game, that the the match was nearly moved from Windsor Park, the the chance during the game were quite threatening, I'd imagine. Um, so how how did well, they? Is it's black humor. It's black humor. You know, you have that you have that black humor between yourselves. You know, and it's. It, it's, the, it's it's like when someone gets frightened, they get nervous, they get they laugh. You know, it's that sort of. We'd been there, you know, we, we were similar sort of situation um, afterwards. You know, I think when we played out in Yugoslavia, so you know, we played out in the middle of the war there um, as well. So, uh, but to go up the road uh, as it was to Northern Ireland for them, maybe to knock us out of qualification for the World Cup if things didn't work out. Special branch on the bus, I remember, you know, fully loaded, you know, loaded uh, ammunition guns because to protect us on the bus lights out um you know it was intimidating it really was and like i said um whether you were, were born in ireland um and you had an irish action uh, accent and uh, or whether you were born in england to irish parents or to have grandparents we'd all seen um and the thing that annoyed me sometimes was you know you get lads that and people suggesting because you have an english accent you don't understand um exactly what's going on in Ireland well sometimes not everyone that lives in Ireland uh, with an Irish accent knows exactly what's gone on and, and the th- true stories of what happened or what didn't happen uh, and I was brought up in, a, in a, you know my nan was 98 when she passed away so she had plenty to tell me and told me on a regular basis so um, it was important that you respected where you were going in terms of the situation and there was there's some been horrific stuff that had happened just previous to that and it was a real escalation just before the game of violence on both sides and that 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 led to um, obviously questions whether the game would be on or not like you suggested whether it would be at different places but the, the players decided I don't know if it's naively we would nothing would happen to us we would we were football players you know why would anything stupid happen to us and it was again it's I suppose a bit naive at times you think well I mean now would, would I have sent my own kid in there probably not <laughs> but um it was it, it was intimidating and it was difficult on the night um, and the one and the safest place as I said many times the best place and the, the place that everyone felt most comfortable was on the pitch itself mm. because I was sat on the bench you know with uh, people five or six seven eight yards behind me um, you know so we understood I'm not going to turn around and start arguing with people was I um, I remember saying to Alan Kelly uh, my, my great mate and we're sitting there we always sit next to each other and um I remember there was a stand on the far side, I think still there now, and there's a, there was a gap on the right um, and I, after about 20 minutes and it was pretty hostile, you imagine. And I turned to Alan and I said to him, I said, you've got a red dot on your forehead. Jesus Christ, you've got a red dot on your forehead. And um, I think it's a sniper out. And it's, you know, and he's he's ducking and he's diving and he's he's, falling, he's going, don't make that. You know, I won't say exactly what I can't swear. So that's that humour. You know, Jack told me told me to go and warm up behind the goal and there was like police dogs there. I said, I said we're not going there. There's <laughs> a warm up along there, Jack. So, um, yeah, it, it was the safest place on the pitch and I was relieved to get on the pitch. Um, but then when obviously I was on three minutes and Jimmy, uh, my mate from Swindon, uh, crashed one into the top corner with a lovely volley with his right foot and thought he'd managed to steal the show but I thankfully I managed to pull out a decent strike with my left foot and save the day as it was but you 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 when you look back at it like you're nearly cel- you're celebrating before the ball has even hit, hit the back of the net no I'm celebrating not the fact that I'd maybe because the ramifications of what were going on in the game weren't panning out on the pitch we didn't exactly know what was going on 
I was I was celebrating. Thank fuck, I've just scored for Ireland. Thanks, thank God, I hit the back of the net. I'd hit the bar. I'd hit the post twice. I'd had two cleared off the line. I was a goal scoring midfielder. You know, I hadn't played the whole campaign. I'd been on the bench, but we'd gone to Seville. I remember Roy was unbelievable in Seville when we played out there. Packy had a brilliant game. You know, it was a team full of, we just happy to be involved in it, happy to be around it. And, um, and I was happy at some point to play a part, but you're waiting for a, a moment to get on. You're waiting for someone to get injured and maybe play a part. And it was just fate, really. It's fate that, like, Jack decided that Ray wasn't doing it. And, and told him so on the way off and then told me, apparently what he told me was stand on the edge of the box, chest it down to my left and hit it with my left foot in the bottom corner. Now, that's the sort of person Jack was to take the credit afterwards. <laughs> he, told me, he said, just get on and fucking score a goal. <laughs> that's basically what he said. Um, <laughs> get forward, run forward and get a goal. And um, that's what I tried to do, and uh, like I said, he, you know, they made a bit of a tactical error because there was there was a, there was a free kick, and Dennis took it, but Dennis was the only person on the ball. So normally, with this one on the ball, you only put one in the wall, and it was an out swinger. It wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't an in swinger. So that left me stood on the edge of the box free, and I knew it was, and I checked my shoulders, and there was no one around me. And then you just try to anticipate where the ball might go. I remember Big Quinny did a good job in blocking. I think Ian Dowie from getting, you know, at least a charge on me. And as soon as I hit, I knew it was in. And, and I knew where the keeper right had been celebrating not more than five minutes before, like a madman. Um, yeah. that I was going to equal But like I said, the celebration was, I, I, I turned and the light had scored. And then I turned again, hoping there was no you know, decision. It was offside or there was a handball or something ridiculous along the way. So, and then it was just, uh, and again, I clenched my fist and it was, you know, I've scored. That's all I wanted to do was to put that behind me that I've managed to get that goal. So, Believe it or not, that was right. why I was so happy. Not the fact that the goal had meant something other than I'd scored, and that's all I was delighted about. Amazing. The, 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 like, the, the meaning of that goal is just phenomenal. Like, it meant so much to the, to the country that, right, we had, we had a taste of a World Cup in 1990, and it was amazing. Uh, we need to get to another one. And, like, for two World Cups in a row, do you ever just... Do you ever just sit down and kind of say, or take it in? Like I know it's years later, 25 years later, but still, it still means so much. USA 94 was a brilliant summer for everyone. Well, it was a credit card buster, wasn't it? That's what it was. It was a credit, <laughs> credit union as well. Credit union yeah, as well. It was, uh, yeah, there was a lot of people. And again, going to America, you know, Italy, as much as it was nice and fountains and bits and bobs and Pavarotti and uh, anything that goes in Italy was okay. But burgers... You know, chips, <laughs> French, you know, fried chicken, um, golf, sun, um, you know, Budweiser uh, on tap, you know, not just a little glass of wine. So it was just accessible. And obviously the history between, you know, the USA and Ireland in terms of the amount of people that left Ireland um, as my grand's cousin, uh, she left Ireland and she left on the Titanic and didn't make it. So um, all that going on along the way. So um, it was it made the whole thing more accessible for everyone. And you were four years further down the line in terms of technology and everything else. So it was just amazing. Brilliant. Um, and now I know recently they they apologised, the FBI, um, to you, and you got a phone call from John Delaney apologising. But you were disappointed that you that it wasn't marked 
the occasion, particularly since since we played them on the actual anniversary. Um, but you're happy now that, with the apology, is it? Well, listen, I'm a I'm a fair I'm a fair chap at the end of the day, and uh, where I work, I give a, a lot of people um, the standards that I set. I expect the standards to be taken into uh, my workplace at Swindon Town Football Club in terms of whether you're a coach, uh, whether you're a player. You set standards. I set the standards. I set where everyone should, the marker should be, and they should aspire to be setting and working to my standards. And I don't like people that don't work to my standards and don't work to my level of maybe um, commitment, um, try to be a fair person, uh, try to be a tough person when it needs to be, person that's going to put an arm around someone when it needs to be, uh, someone that knows his stuff, knows how to get players into in, into a football club first teams uh, in, in my position. So that's how I work on my level. And when I don't get that back, yeah, I was a bit disappointed. But I'm also a fair p- uh, person in terms of uh, when apologies made. And I, I will be honest, it was only made after the, the article came out. Um, um, I don't think there was any intention. I don't think there's any anyone have thought um, logically about the situation. Um on the PR side of things, maybe. And I wouldn't have gone there. Yeah, there's a bit of me would have gone there because it would have been nice because I'd not been, I'd only been once to the Aviva and that was, I didn't be invited by um, News Talk to go and do a, a little piece there. Uh, other than that, you know, there'd been other, no other recognition or, or word from the FAI. I did get a lovely gold cap that was sent through, which was sent through to the players, which was great. Um, so, yeah, I was a little bit tad disappointed and because of the standards I set, for my staff and the organisation I work with, I wouldn't have overlooked that. Um, but it was overlooked and it was it was dealt with. They apologised for it. And I just suggested in the future that you don't forget the past um, because it does play a part, uh, whether you like it or not, in in, in in the DNA of an association. And uh, it, should, well, it should be forgotten. 25 years later and we're still talking about, about that, that game, well, that Oh, I mean, that was another reason why I, why I wrote my book, because I've got two girls, Abby and Megan, and, you know, one's 27, one's 24, and uh, they grew up as little kids, it, it, you know. I mean, Me- Megan had, wasn't even born by the time I scored the goal in, in the North. Abby had Abby was two, and, um, or, yeah, she was just two. And um, they, the girls, they I had to document something, because they don't come up to me every day, even growing up and saying, oh, Dad, what did you do and how did you do it? But at some point when they get to 51 and 61, further down the line, they've got grandkids, they might, their kids might say, oh, what, what, what did your dad used to do? And they'd have a sketchy outline of it. So I thought by writing the book when I, when I was ill was the perfect time to fill in the gaps for them. Uh, and again, filling in gaps sometimes can help, can help you. And I just felt the FAI missed the trick on filling the gap there, not only for me, but for the lads who played a big part uh, in that nine, you know, in that '94 squad? Because I played a small part in that, um, but it was a great little cog to be involved in because that wheel was some brilliant players who went to Seville and got a hell of a result in Seville. Went to Denmark, went to all these places, and they should be recognised on the night as well because it wasn't just about my goal and my 20 minutes; it was about their achievements up to that point to give me the opportunity to score the goal. Uh, and I'll take stealing the headlines off them. Not a problem. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, uh, I didn't want to. Re- I didn't want them to be not recognised. And I would never do anything without recognising the the efforts of everyone that I, I that I, I work with. And um, before we let you go, Neil. But before I let you go, you know the way you said there, you got the envelopes for Ireland B and England B. If you didn't get the envelope for Ireland B, would you have played for England B? I probably would have done, yeah, because. Um, 
I'd had no, I'd had no. Um, see, when I was starting off as as a young footballer, um, I was always rejected for being too small. I was always rejected by um, Manchester boys and on the bench because I was too small, uh, a good player but too small. I never got in the county side because I wasn't in the in Manchester boys um, team because I was flitting in and out of it because they said I was too small. I, I didn't get schoolboy anywhere. Um, I got into United by hard work and per, you know and luck. At the end of the day, um, I got released because I they had other players in front of me, uh, international quality players. I went to Swindon and worked my balls off to to get into the team there and do what I did. And at that point, then with a name like McLaughlin and playing for Man United, you think someone from Ireland would have recognised that because I'm pretty sure they had schoolboy internationals then, and um, no one bothered. And that's. No one bothered to think, well, he's, who's this lad at Man United playing? Playing the reserves at 16, he's playing left back, he's playing right back. I was never, ever recognised at all by Ireland or England or anybody else at that point. So when something like that comes through and you're, you're 19, you're, you're I'm 21 then, and you think this is a, a recognition of something that you've achieved over a season, two seasons of working your balls off, going out and long to Torquay, you know, working unbelievably hard, leaving home, you know, 170 miles away, leaving my family just to pursue a career. Of course, I'm going to take the opportunity because no one else had given, had given me that opportunity before. But within, the, you know, the strength of six letters, the opportunity that was there quickly went because I knew there was a better opportunity and something more significant that would make my family more proud than anything else. You know, obviously, because your your parents are Irish, and I know it's a bit different than Declan Rice's situation. But can you see where Declan Rice is coming from now? Um, I can in one way. I I think he could be, you know, the, the focal point of the team. I think he could be the focal point of Ireland and get over a hundred caps and be recognised in your Robbie Keynes uh, and your not many subs, maybe Robbie because of the goals, but he could be up there, you know, with a hundred plus caps. Um, he could take the mantle on, he could drive or try and drive them forward. And even if, you know, the squad uh, didn't prevail and even if it didn't succeed, I mean, look at Ryan Giggs, you know, he, could have quite, he played for England schoolboys, went on to play for Wales, didn't achieve anything with Wales, but still a legend in the game. Yeah. Still would have got brilliant contracts at Man United. And I still Declan, think Declan can still achieve what he needs to achieve at club level. Uh, but rather than playing five or six games for England, which it would be probably, in my opinion. Um, he could play over 100 caps for Ireland, go around the world, uh, be talked about in 25 years' time, 30 years' time as a great player. And that's the potential he's got inside it that he might have. Um, now, that's not to say he won't want to do great things for England, but I think if you look at the current setup with England and, yes, opportunities given to young players, is he going to get ahead of the current crop? Is he going to get ahead of what's there already and make significant strides along the way um, if he believes he can well good luck to him um, more than the boy at Aston Villa uh, what's his name uh, Grealish. Grealish he ain't going to play for England not in my opinion not on a regular basis he'd have played 10, 11, 12 times for Ireland now you know he could be playing on against world class players and and you know playing against a Denmark and playing against an Ericsson and playing against significant players and doing well against them and not looking out of place playing for Ireland playing probably most games and, and, and being a significant part of something and, and when you, you know if you got a Grealish and you had a, a Rice then you might be getting other players going oh, okay something's happening here something's building 
So I don't know whether that's because they've decided and they have people in their ears saying, well, no, you know, play for England, you'll get a better contract at your club. And I wouldn't be too far away from that assessment. And that's my, just my own personal opinion. I have no facts on that, but I don't think I'd be too far away from that's probably what's happening. Brilliant. Um, Brilliant. We're just out of time with you, so thanks so much for joining us. But just the very last thing before we let you go, we have a a few few of our listeners uh, know that you're you're coming on. And one of them has asked us, um, will you ask Alan, growing up in the shadow of Main Road, is it true he used to regularly nutmeg Noel Gallagher? I don't think I nutmeg. I don't know. I might have nutmegged him once in the school playground, or maybe four or five times. Yeah, we used to. Uh, yeah, we used to meet up and go to uh, Main Road because I used to live. Uh, well, my mum, dad, I'm here now. I'm in Fallowfield. I'm in Manchester. I'm just like I'm about a five minute walk from Main Road as it was then. So um, yeah, we used to go to the games and meet up. Um, well, not every week. Um, Noel was a diehard, as you see, and, and no Man City fan. I was a. I want to go to the game. I don't want to let my mates down. Pretend to be Man City fan, so uh, <laughs> because I couldn't go to Old Trafford because my dad worked on a Saturday. My uncle uh, had a season ticket there, only the one, so I only got to Old Trafford very limited times. And I, you know, it was great because I could walk out of my house and get to the get to Main Road, meet the lads, go in, watch the game, um, and it was a way of watching football. And plus, Platt Lane, the training ground, is literally. 500 yards from my house now so uh, where I am currently doing this with you so I could go and watch training and I could go and watch Peter Barnes and Asa Hartford Joel Corrigan uh, Clements even though United fan I got inspiration from watching them train so yeah uh, we went to school together he's gone on I think he's done okay in his career to be fair he's done alright has he scored a win he's done alright I actually had I had um, high flying birds on my car on the way down so it's not just a uh, you know, you know, I'm not just being a bias because I listen to it. I actually love the music, and we grew up around that same sort of music. And you know, and, and it's great to see him do so well. And and we played Man City in the pre, um, first game of the season many many years ago, and he uh, he came and jumped on my back in the middle of the pitch just before the game. And the reporters were more interested, in, and I got offered decent money to be fair to spill the beans on him, um, um, and I didn't bother. So, yeah. <laughs> Pardon. You still be in touch with Noel Gallagher? No, no, I haven't seen. I haven't seen him since that day. So that, I mean, bloody hell, we're going back to probably 1998 was the last time I seen him. That was oh, that okay. the season. So listen, he invited me upstairs to uh, his, uh, the box at the time, but I didn't go up. Yeah. You know, I wasn't going to reload and go up. And uh, I'd seen him. We said hello, and I'm sure our paths, you never know, might cross one day. Uh, really? I'm going to talk quite a bit in, in England, so you never know. But uh, I certainly wouldn't, you know asked to speak to him or try and contact him he'd probably tell me to get stuff but um, anyway <laughs> he, he, he was fine at school and, and not as much of a madman as he made out <laughs> brilliant brilliant listen Alan, nope. uh, th- thanks me again for joining us and um, look all, all the best with, with Swindon I know there's a few changes going on um, or they've just gone under a few changes there so hopefully uh, kicks on anyway well yeah that's that's what we're hoping for you just see the team improves uh, my job's to make sure we get young players in and around the team which we, which we do manage to do so that's my remit and hopefully it will continue listen guys great speaking to you and, uh, brilliant thanks Al all the best man take care well, thanks, Al. See you later. Thanks, Al. what an absolute gent he is class man I love that I was buzzing yeah no I really enjoyed that he's he's an absolute gent very generous this time and like it's, he, he can recall the, the details of everything from 20 yeah. odd years ago no but drops it on a hat doesn't he just no bother like yeah. 
Like it, he was talking about his uh, his uh, form going into the nineteen ninety World Cup club form, yeah. and he was mentioning a goal, and I, I received it from the left, and I was, I was like, Jesus Christ, I can't remember last week. <laughs> what, uh... it's mad how it comes, it's come up a lot with um, it's mad. I'm not criticizing Alan, firstly, but it's just mad that in in the news in the in the wake of uh, Martin O'Neill uh, leaving Ireland, yeah, it's mad to see that our are players that are based in England um, come out and kind of say, you know, we don't have the quality because it's not, it's not the first time I've heard it. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, but obviously we spoke to Alan uh, in, in detail about it, but it's just like, right, we probably don't have the quality, but surely we have, we can get a manager that gives us some sort of identity. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I think the thing is, when, when you don't have quality, you try to replace quality with uh, a system or a mould that you can kind of go, all right, if part A goes missing, I can replace part A with part B, and it should work just as efficiently. You know? Yeah, I agree. Um, and I don't think that, I think that's, I, I think that's what Trapattoni tried in a way. He had a system, and he wanted the players to just fit the system. And I think O'Neill had a system, and he wanted the players to just fit the system. And I think, it, it delivers certain results and it'll statistically, you know, get you certain elements of success. However, when people figure out your system or when you go up against a side that don't need a system, they just play, and I'm going to be a wanker about this, liquid football, then, <laughs> you know. Tell just, me you just didn't say that. I did. I did say liquid football. I'm bringing that back. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Finished it with goose, and I love that saying. Yeah, that's goosed. that saying. That's not saying. Um, but that was brilliant. I love that. All I'm saying, yeah, I, I love that chat with Al. But all I'm saying is, I would have given uh, Keane and O'Neill another year. Would you? Yeah, because if they had stayed on under a year, it absolutely would have ran Irish football into the ground, and rugby would have been definitely the number one sport in the country. Oh, you absolute dickhead! Coming into a World Cup year, a World Cup which we're going to win, of course. I, I mean. <laughs> Gonna... How, how are you feeling about our mate Ewan McKenna? What are you talking about? His articles about his article on Sunday. Ewan McKenna is no mate of mine. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag heel. Hashtag Ewan. Please don't. I really like him. <laughs> no, look what he's saying is, is is right though. Like in many ways it is, and uh, it wasn't Ewan. I can't actually remember the journalist's name. There was another journalist who wrote. Uh, an article in the Indo on I think it might have been Tuesday and it was like it was meant to be satire and it was meant to be kind of you know like let's all poke fun at the rugby heads and it was like eight ways to fit into a rugby conversation and it was it was just it was the tired cliches and it was somebody who has read the Ross O'Carroll Kelly books but doesn't have the brain to make a funny in the way that Paul Howard can make a funny you know right. what I mean? It was just yeah, an yeah, absolutely yeah. shite article. Um, whereas what Ewan is doing is he's just dissecting it and he's just kind of saying, you know, Jesus, if if you do anything other than jump on the bandwagon and declare Joe Schmidt a god, then all you're going to get is a mouthful of guff off people. Um, I can see his point. Um, but that said, Ireland are in rude health when it comes to rugby. And I'm genuinely optimistic about the World Cup next year. Lovely. 
if we only get to the quarterfinals, that's it now. I'll be goose as well. <laughs> <laughs> You'll go following hockey. Oh, stop, man. Yeah, the women's hockey team. Do you know what? Right, that's another thing. Right, when the women's hockey team got to the World Cup final, and brilliant achievement, don't get me wrong, absolutely amazing achievement, but the whole country was bandwagoning there. Everybody was yeah. delighted for it. Why is there some football elitists who just will not embrace rugby when we're doing well? Are you are you specifically saying against New Zealand? Is it the win? Well, um, well, the, the win against New Zealand being won, but it harken back to the Grand Slam earlier this year, the the successful tour in Australia during the summer, Leinster winning the the European Cup. I mean, what's that problem? Great. As, a fo- as a football fan, you 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 go around with the great unwashed and the comrades. I just think there's a, <laughs> I just think there's an arrogance with rugby fans that turned me off rugby. And there's an arrogance with rugby fan. You're saying that coming from you, who constantly hashtag one sport that matters, hashtag greatest team in the league in the world, hashtag. That's just you when it's working so there. Sorry. That's just to annoy you when it seems to be working. Seeing your reaction here. Absolutely not, Graham. You couldn't get under my skin if I gave you a needle and tread, but right. <laughs> You you have not as we talk on video. You are wearing a Shamrock Rovers jersey. You cannot cannot talk about elitism or snobbery in sport when you and your band of hooligans are out there on a mad one. That was a great interview with Alan McLaughlin. <laughs> Until next week. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, yeah, we haven't told people where they can listen to all the other episodes and all that, Craig. Tell them. You can get it on WTSPod.com. Don't be lazy. Right, <laughs> <laughs> go on. Look, do the clear noise bit. I'm going to watch the highlights of the Ireland beating the All Blacks. <laughs> Becky Lynch for Ireland. Be- yeah, yeah, Becky Lynch for Ireland. I'm telling you now, I don't know what happened. Is she back yet? Is she still out injured? Is she... I think she's still out injured. She's broken face. Oh, Jesus. Madness. Yeah. Madness. Anyway, genuinely, Adam McLaughlin, legend. Uh, really enjoyed that. Hope you've enjoyed it too, lads. I'm off now to get me prep in before Ireland beat USA at the weekend in the rugby. And and people should um, send Alan if they enjoy the podcast they should send them a tweet of appreciation because the man is a legend. Yeah, just don't don't at me, lads. I, I couldn't be arsed to you, Clear eyes. Full hearts. And lose. Too sweet. Look. Okay.